This is Casting Conscience, a podcast by Conscience and Residency for medical students, residents, fellows, and other trainees of Conscience. You're not crazy, and you're not alone. I'm your host, Kara Buskmiller. I'm a maternal fetal medicine fellow in Houston, Texas, and I'm joining you for a brief first episode. I'm going to tell you about the story of Conscience and Residency in brief, sketch out in broad strokes the options that lay before a future doctor of conscience, and then tell you some of the episodes we have planned in the future. Conscience in Residency is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, the purpose of which is to, tr- to serve trainees in biomedical sciences, especially medical careers, who desire to practice according to their consciences. And we do this in three ways. First, we collect and propagate studies and arguments relevant to these choices. Second, we provide a space for conversation and mentorship in these choices and careers. And this space is not so much a particular place on the internet or space uh, locally somewhere in the U.S. um, or abroad, but it's more uh, in relationships between residents who've succeeded and medical students or junior residents who uh, have yet to succeed or meeting that success early on in their careers. And third, we provide opportunities for research, leadership, and community service for residents of conscience. Conscience and Residency originated in 2015 as a small group of Catholic family medicine and obstetrics and gynecology residents who realized that there was little centralized material available for residents who wanted to avoid certain practices to which they held a conscientious objection. This is an internal moral indicator pushing them towards one decision on what is objectionable or wrong, and we call this moral indicator conscience, and this decision about what is objectionable a sign of a healthy ability to perceive an objective external reality and make a judgment about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. By 2017, these and other residents of other faiths in particular realized that the ability to make a decision in conscience was increasingly threatened for other specialties. A conscience and objection, instead of being lauded or tolerated as in times past, is now seen as a failure of sensitivity or relativism and an imposition in patient care. Moreover, these residents wanted to extend what they had learned to help those of any faith or no faith out of solidarity and of any specialty, not just obstetrics and gynecology. So why does conscience and residency exist as it does now? Well, organizations such as the American Congress of Obstetricians, the American Association of Pediatrics, and the American Psychological Association have issued guidelines limiting the ability of physicians, including trainees, uh, to exercise their judgment of what is right and wrong, a judgment commonly called conscience, as I said. The American Psychiatric Association has made itself the conscience of modern psychiatry, as in their vision statement. And uh, ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, has put out a committee opinion, 385, um, for years now, uh, stating that conscience objections are problematic in uh, reproductive medicine. Other organizations, such as the American Medical Association, have ensconced individual conscience, at least for the time being. Faith-based and conservative organizations have also diverged from ACOG. Um, Most of these organizations focus on attending physicians, such as the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. And there's no organization in existence to advocate for the integrity of residents' consciences in particular and across specialties. So powerful, funded organizations exist on both sides for attendings. CIR seeks to fill one place, the defense of residents and other biomedical trainees as they pursue training while conforming to their own judgment of what is right and wrong. As one arm of this mission, Casting Conscience, this podcast seeks to engage topics with and without guests that are relevant to our target audience. We seek primarily to serve two groups. First, residents wanting to practice according to their conscience, primarily Catholic and Christian residents um, who are deciding against doing certain things, especially in reproductive medicine, but also in other things like end-of-life care. 
this group also includes applicants for residency who want to find a program that will allow them to avoid compromising their conscience. For example, uh, applicants who want to avoid uh, performing abortion um, or other applicants who want to avoid providing medical or surgical transition. By extension, and in order to serve that group, we also, our uh, target audience also includes attendings who are sympathetic and can offer guidance to us, and junior medical students, PhD students, pharmacy students, and others who share in the fruits and struggles of uh, our primary audience, those residents and applicants. In this episode, just as a little bit of content, in addition to just blathering on about what conscience and residency is, I wanted to provide a 50,000 foot view of what the near future looks like for a trainee of conscience. They've done their pre-med studies and maybe even the first year or two of medical school, and now that clinical life looms and decisions await them about their future practice, they look onto a very different landscape than do many of their peers. So by the end of this quick interview, I want to uh, be able to I want you to be able to remark on several career options that conform with that conscience in the field of family medicine, internal medicine, psychiatry, peds, and obstetrics. I want you to be able to define your own approach to discuss issues of life and conscience at work with people at various levels of power, including not only your attendings and your co-residents or colleagues, but students and patients. I want you to be able to verbalize how you would ask a program director at an interview about the choice to practice Hippocratic medicine or, me or become a resident of conscience. So first, let's go through the general approaches to being a physician of conscience, or as some would say, a Hippocratic physician. The first approach is to steer clear, to choose a non-controversial specialty or subspecialty and enter a minimally controversial future. Recuse care for controversial issues if they arise, but they rarely, rarely arise, and you sort of steer clean of all the discussion. You can voice pro-life opinions or, or whatever other controversial opinions you have outside of work or in a manner safe for your career, and this is 100% okay. It's not as though you have to somehow commit to controversy if you hold positions of conscience. Um, it's 100% okay to treat work as work and prioritize other things in your life, such as family. Um, I will say that the, the ability to steer completely clear, that is narrowing. We won't always be able to get to a completely clean specialty, especially as uh, conscience issues encroach on every specialty uh, as we're seeing in, in here in the near future. Another approach is to get messy, to enter a controversial specialty somewhere on the spectrum of minimally controversial all the way to ridiculously controversial, and then voice choices pre-match. It's very important to disclose the choices that you will make in terms of declining to do certain things, to voice those before you match, and to continue to negotiate as issues arise throughout your training. You can adopt a quiet, firm attitude um, or an outspoken attitude, depending on your personality, and you can expect to get involved with some difficulties and make some mistakes about what your conscience has told you to do and how involved you desire to be. Being involved with difficulties shouldn't be viewed as a complete failure of your whole enterprise to stay clear by your conscience. That is just the fact of what we do. We wade through the muds, and sometimes we wade through the mud, and sometimes um, our attempts to avoid participation in these things doesn't always work out. After you go through a messy residency, you can get unmessy. You can finish training in that specialty and then choose a niche that mostly avoids controversy. Uh, for example, if you enter psychiatry and do have some brushes with things that you prefer not to provide, um, you can enter then geriatric or forensic psychiatry. Or if you go through obstetrics and gynecology, for example, you can go into urogynecology, which has, uh, at the present time, mostly an older audience, uh, mostly an older uh, patient population, and mostly procedures, at least right now, um, that don't focus 
focus on providing things that many uh, of the residents of conscience that CIR serves would object to. Of course, there's some development uh, in, in terms of pelvic surgery in the future that could go another way. Um, but for now, that seems to be an, an area that's a little bit less messy. Of course, you can also stay messy. You could go through a controversial residency and then uh, maintain your position amidst that controversial specialty or even choose a controversial subspecialty or practice. Examples of these include child psychiatry, uh, maternal fetal medicine, medical oncology uh, with its end-of-life care, and many, many others. As a basic how-to, and we're going to go into much more detail on these topics in the next few episodes, so stay tuned. Uh, you would proceed this way. You apply to the same number of programs as anyone else in your tier, but make some of them schools that are open to, not schools, that's, I'm thinking of safety schools as we're talking about college applications, um, but make some of them programs that are open to decisions uh, that you're going to make. And CIR has produced some resources on what programs are open to residents of conscience, and then we are available individually to talk about what schools are best year to year. And then personalized advice means a lot, uh, rather than just a list that may or may not be updated. CIR really takes care to update, especially its OBGYN program list, because these things are a little bit person-dependent, program director-dependent, and even co-resident-dependent, so the culture of a program can shift from year to year, um, and it's very important that you get good advice uh, on the network of programs that you're going to apply to. You consider during your application preparation stage how much bargaining power you have at each of the locations that you're applying to. And this doesn't have to be a big calculation. You can just look at it and say, wow, it's a big academic program. I'm not going to have a lot of autonomy to say I will do this and I won't do this and please take me. Um, there'll be a hundred people lined up behind you that will be like, I will do whatever you say. You say jump, I say how high. Um, and with that many people lined up behind you, you and your limitations may be viewed much less favorably. So if it's a smaller community program that is in a conservative area, you may have much more bargaining power, especially if you're a very strong applicant and you could say, you know, I'm choosing not to do X and Y, uh, but I really think I'd be a great resident for you and I'd be a feather in your cap, you'd be a feather in mine, this would, be, this would work out for us uh, mutually. So consider how much bargaining power you have at each place. With more chips uh, on the table and uh, in front of you, you can perhaps be, you can induce some more flexibility in the other side. Show you're interested in each program as you're interviewing for these things other than your conscience objections, and this is very important. Um, so you don't want to go to a place and just say, well, I heard I could be safe here, uh, and then not have looked up any of their particular things that they love about themselves, right? And right, rightfully so. Programs want to be encouraged in what they're working hard to do well. So for example, if you go to an OB uh, uh, residency interview and you say, uh, I I'm just happy I won't have to do birth control here. Oh, this is a... This this is not great for your interview. You want to say instead, I've looked up this program, I love this area, my kids would love it, there's good school districts, or I love your force-up training, I love your robotic certification by the end of residency, etc., etc. Um, and all those things sh should be true. I hope you're speaking the truth whenever you're speaking. Um, and then in, if conscience uh, objections arise, or if you bring them up, you can be truthful, um, but it's important for the program to know that you want to be a well-rounded physician in whatever specialty you're going into. You want to be an excellent physician, and not all of that has to do... <clears throat> It's important for programs to know that you want to be a well-rounded and excellent physician in whatever specialty you're going into, and not all of that has to do with what you're saying no to. And then 
The next step is you need to make a choice based on your personality type about whether to ask program directors in person about your conscience objections at the interview or by speaking with them by phone afterwards. Um, don't do any email or texting about these decisions and do not bait and switch the program and, and surprise them post-match. Uh, that is a sure way to making sure you violate your conscience by accident. Um, to do third-person phrasing is very helpful, both to help you be comfortable asking the question and to be uh, to help the program director be comfortable receiving the question and giving an honest answer. So phrasing such as, how would you view an applicant who is choosing not to do X and Y? That's very helpful. Limiting the number of X's and Y's, not listing four things at once, but only one or two, is it's a good technique not only for our patients as we do our review systems, but it's also helpful for PDs not to get sort of lost in the weeds about one thing or one choice. And don't ask about the easiest issue. For example, many uh, applicants want to ask about abortion protections. There, there's plentiful abortion protections at this time in history. Um, we're protected from being required or being uh, coerced into performing abortions or participating in abortions. So that often doesn't have to even be discussed. Uh, you do want to, of course, assess the culture of a program. Are they going to be a program that is uh, easy for you to exist in as a pro-life resident? Uh, but you may not need to ask directly about that and, and possibly sour an interview conversation if, if it's going in a certain direction. And then finally, be a good applicant. Send specific follow-up messages, thank you notes, love letters, and network some more. That's interview season. Now what about residency? Well, good behaviors in residency that help support you in the comfort and the culture of your program as a resident as you're doing difficult things. These are difficult decisions and sometimes difficult networking and work sharing needs to be coordinated. Options are firmly hold your ideas um, in whatever program you choose. You don't have to somehow change your ideas to be comfortable and I, I would never suggest that you do that. You can respectively ask that alternative tracks besides the one that would involve something problematic be developed and you can help with that curriculum development. Initiative and humility helps a lot. You expect that you need training, even if you are already, you know, a lot about maybe abortion or contraception or, or transgender uh, care or gender dysphoria, but you can say, hey, I need to learn something about this. I don't want to leave this issue totally on the table, and I will help with developing a curriculum not to put a lot of work on your table, Dr. Program Director. You can discuss issues with co-residents and faculty on which you differ if an occasion arises, and I do suggest you do it again with humility. An attitude of humility goes a long way. You can talk about how you don't know everything about uh, the issue that you're declining to prescribe or declining to uh, offer surgically, but you can say, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to read a lot about it. I can, uh, I can learn about it. Let me discuss my uh, objection at this time, and I'm, I'm open to learning from you. That's why I'm in this program. I would recuse care only as a last resort. Hopefully uh, you can work things ahead of time such that all the people in the clinic know that you don't prescribe this particular thing and this is the way that you communicate that a patient wants this particular thing and that you cannot pr provide it for them. And of course you should care for complications of anything you disagree about. For example, abortion um, is a common one. You should always be very ready to spring up and care for any patient who's, um, who's undergone an abortion. These are our patients. We care about them. We're not making decisions because we don't care about them. We're making decisions because we have particular understandings about the reality of those actions and those uh, things that are offered uh, by some physicians. 
Not options for behavior and residency include loudly portraying your ideas as somehow best healthcare that uh, everyone else is not adhering to when the program culture is very different from yours. This is a guaranteed way to make an enemy of yourself, um, and that's really not what you want. Not only because you'd like to portray your ideas as good and true, but also because you really don't want to create unnecessary friction. Um, you don't want to surprise a, po a program post-match, and I know I've said this a couple of times, but I can't say it enough. You can't surprise them with choices you didn't inform them about that you expected would affect workflow. Um, the couple of times that I've known that to occur, uh, that resident has uh, ended up violating their conscience at some point during their training program. And uh, I don't want to lay blame at the foot of the resident in particular for that you know, being coerced into whatever, but I really do want to lay blame at their feet for baiting and switching the program. One needs to be honest, um, and a good employee saying, I can't do X and I can't do Y, let me show you how that can work into this, into this job that I'm applying for. Make your beliefs, making your beliefs your entire identity is also a don't do this. Um, you are more than just saying no to a few things, right? You have, uh, you've worked hard in medical school, you have interests, you have family, you have pets, you have hobbies, you have all kinds of things, right? And you can be that whole person uh, most of the time. And that also helps people uh, get along with you and know that, hey, this is a human being. Uh, it's odd. I thought they would be really bigoted because of these choices, but they're actually, they're kind to me and they're kind to patients and they're informed. They study they work hard, etc. And, and coupled with uh, that making your beliefs your entire identity, you can't underperform as a resident. You are held to a very high standard and you need to show that you meet that high standard. Um, especially if you're saying no to a few other things. You can't dump work on other residents. You have to equalize the burden that you're creating if you are creating a burden and you have to otherwise perform very, very well. And uh, this doesn't have to be stressful, it just has to be something that motivates you to excellence because you've already chosen to pursue a high degree of excellence and not compromise something. It's something that's really in accord with the way that we're all acting, that we believe we should also be excellent in, in sort of secular or medical matters. And then you can't counsel or treat patients in a way that could lead you to being misunderstood. This is a really tricky one that deserves an episode all by itself. But when you're a trainee, you're under a microscope and the attending physician is the physician of record. So if there's a way that you counsel patients that leads the attending to believe that you're somehow not evidence-based or uh, um, creating friction or creating difficulty for the patients, this is not going to serve you well and it's not going to serve your position well. For example, it's very easy for an obstetrics and gynecology resident to finish a visit on uh, family planning counseling or contraceptive counseling um, very neutrally and then speak to the physician and say, my patient would like to um, get a Mirena IUD. And as you recall, I, I don't insert those. So I need to, um, I need someone else to take care of the patient from this point, or we need to go through our, our pre-prepared workflow for this Mirena IUD seeking patient. In another way, uh, the same obstetrics and gynecology resident could say, you know, there's effects of that IUD uh, after conception, and uh, so you're aborting your embryos if you get a marina IUD, and the patient goes, oh my word, I didn't realize that. The attending comes in to staff the patient, and the patient says, they said that IUD is abortifacient. I don't want that. And the attending goes, it's not abortifacient. What are you teaching the patients, you know? you know, Dr. So-and-so, and there's a lot of friction that was just generated over a miscommunication or an over-communication or a, a communication with a little bit of a lack of care or tact. So it's very important to um, choose wisely how you communicate both to patients and to attendings, um, both to avoid cooperation in things that you don't want. Too near cooperation is, is morally repugnant to many of us. And then also to tell the patient the truth in a way that won't harm her or the attending or yourself in this whole interaction. 
So that wraps up our very brief overview of how to be a a resident of conscience. I hope you learned something, and I hope you see as much potential in this podcast as I do. Coming soon, this was our first episode, just on what is conscience and residency, what is conscience, what's cast to conscience. Um, Next, you'll hear us talk about when and why should I tolerate someone's conscience when I think they're wrong. If we expect this for ourselves, we should expect this of others. Um, We should be able to give and to take this respect. And we have to talk about how this is different than a sort of passive tolerance. We're also going to talk about how we protect physicians' conscience rights. And then we're going to talk about the Hippocratic Oath and what all the fuss is about. Because a lot of the people, maybe 10 or 20 years older than us, talk a lot about the Hippocratic Oath, and so do some of us. Um, But to others of us, we're like, yeah, I just want to, like, go by my morality. Why is the Hippocratic Oath being talked about so much? We also have a series planned on interviewing advice for different specialties, a landmark paper series planned to go over key papers relevant to some of our uh, conscience objections, and a series on navigating patient visits that brings up conscience objections, so faces you to uh, force your decisions and counsel the patient carefully and relate to the attending very carefully. You don't want to miss any of that. So stay tuned, and uh, if you have any feedback on the podcast, please get in touch with us. We can be reached at conscienceinresidency at gmail.com, no punctuation, and our website website is conscienceandresidency.com. We can be seen on Twitter and Facebook and uh, shortly on Instagram. Uh, And I'm very grateful for your time and listening and hope to see you again soon.